Praise the Lord. Good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. They must know it's coming. (laughs) It's not. Praise the Lord. All right. It says, Do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God and, which is connecting with that, regularly giving your petitions and requests to God with thanksgiving. So don't be anxious in anything. Again, the Greek there means anything. But in everything... Again, it means everything. All right, we got to remember that sometimes. The anything and the everything is pretty important. And the with thanksgiving, which is the confidence to know, it says if you'll do this, the and connects to that verse there. And it says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. That means, how many know that that means it goes above understanding? How many know what understanding means? That means that's the rational part of my brain that analyzes everything, and until I come to an understanding of everything... I can't move forward. How many are like that or have been like that in your life at some point? We are human beings who are prone to be overly rational, overly analytical. We analyze too much. And this says there's something called the peace of God that is above that. So if you will come before God and not be anxious in anything, but in everything you'll bring it to God... He will bring the peace of God which is above your understanding. Amen. I don't even have to preach that. And it will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many have ever felt like my mind and my heart need to be guarded? Because anxiety is tearing me apart. My troubles, my problems, the world around me, it's tearing me apart. And what God wants to do is take away your rational, analytic side and say there's something better than that. And He wants you to have it today. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I pray that Your Spirit, right now, Holy Spirit, make this uh, verse come alive. Let us understand the peace of God that passes our understanding, Lord God. Make us people of that peace that you offer, Lord. Do it today, Lord. In your name we pray. 
Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, and you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says this. These things that happened to them, and he's talking about the Old Testament. I mean, oh, we have 4,000 years of history before the New Testament. And it says the things that happened to them... These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the age has come. So that tells me that 4,000 years of history in the Old Testament are stories that are there to teach me things that God's trying to make me understand now. How many agree with that? So sometimes we open this Old Testament we say, man, what's this story about? What's that story about? And, and we're having trouble figuring out what's he talking about? That was a long time ago. God says they're almost like storybooks to explain certain things that you need to understand. So I'm going to go back to Judges chapter 6 to try to help you understand the peace of God that passes all understanding. The peace of God. We're going to go to the storybook. And we're going to see how God explains what this peace means because I don't think everybody understands it. In fact, you'll learn as you begin to mature in the Lord that everything you do, every step you take in life, every decision you have to make, everything that's troubling you in this world and giving you anxiety, if you don't learn how to pray and find the peace of God... It's very difficult to move forward in the Christian life. And so as you mature, God will carry you with His grace, but God will begin to teach you to have the peace of God in a prayer life instead of having your own analytical mind. You say, well, wait a minute, brother. I've got a brilliant one. You have no idea how smart I am and how intelligent I am. And and I've studied philosophy and I've studied... Man, I'm, I'm more educated than your average person. Right, And we, we, we live in a society that is very much, um, in fact in the Bible you see a group of people called the Greeks, they, were, they Hellenized the world, which means that uh, the world was built on philosophy. And so when the word of God came along, they said, well, the gospel is foolishness to the Greeks, because they rested so heavily on their intellect. They couldn't hardly understand the Bible. In fact, the Bible says that the Spirit has to actually teach you to understand because we've been so messed up by philosophy. We think we're smarter than God. We think that we've got better answers than God. And God's saying, no, there's something that transcends your knowledge. And if you can learn to live in that through prayer and only prayer in Christ then you can transcend your mind. How many times, let me ask you, how many times has your mind got you in trouble? And this is where anxiety starts. And boy, I don't know how many things are attached to anxiety. But anxiety will destroy a person. And I'm glad that the gospel, the good news is there's something above my understanding. All right, some of us don't have the brain you have, like me, you know, and I'm happy there's something above it. You know, the peace of God that passes my understanding. Praise the Lord. In Judges chapter 
6, you see a story here. And remember, these stories are examples to teach us about something. And in the middle of my story here, you're going to have a reference and actually a monument built for the God of peace. And it's going to be something that Gideon discovers in the middle of a story. And I will apply this to Philippians chapter 4, but you have to stay with me till I get there. All right? But Gideon in chapter 6, verse 1, or verse, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, it says, The Israelites, now when I hear the word Israelites, and this is my storybook on examples, right? That tells me this is believers. This is those who are baptized in the mold. These are people that were Israelites. This wasn't just written to pagans, right? This is the Israelites. The Israelites did what? Evil in the eyes of the Lord. So wait a minute. What is this trying to teach me? God's people are doing evil things in the eyes of the Lord. Do you see that? So I'm really read this as an example. I want God to tell me exactly in my life what I need to hear. I don't want him to sugarcoat it. Okay? And the Israelites were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for how many years? Seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now this, if you know the book of Judges, this is a repeated cycle. They will do evil and forget about God. They will worship the gods of their neighbors. And the gods of their neighbors would take them down a lot of sinful roads. You say, well, man, this is an example for me. Not registering, Chad. (laughs) Here's what happens. And like I said, I'm applying this to me and I'm applying it to everybody here at the same time. The church sometimes looks around to our neighbors And rather than being obedient to the way God wants us to live and how we know God wants us to live, sometimes we look around and we begin doing the same practices as the world around us. How many would agree with that? And so for seven years they forgot about God and some of these practices they were doing were pretty disgusting. Some were minor, some were major, but none of it was minor with God. Because He knew... That as they began to do the things of the world, they would take on the same punishments of the world. That their life would begin to go downhill and eventually what happens in this cycle in the book of Judges repeatedly just keeps happening over and over, over several hundred year history here. And it just keeps going on over and over. They would turn their back on God, they would live like their neighbors, And eventually their neighbors would rule over them. They had no freedom anymore. They were doing the things that their neighbors did. And eventually their neighbors would, God would just say, in fact, you see that God handed them over to the Midianites. You say, man, that's kind of mean of God. Why did he do that? Because God had warned them many a times that if you worship those false gods, I'll just let you have them. And so God allows them to go with the Midianites. And it says, verse 2, Because the power of Midian was so oppressive. Everybody say oppressive. How many have ever seen oppression in life? And man, you just start doing the things of the world. And it's just so easy. Eventually you're like oppressed. It's like, 
man, I've got depression, I've got anxiety, I've got all these things that the world has, what's wrong with me? And sometimes it's because we're doing the same things the world's doing. And so it goes on. It says, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. You see this? Not only are the Midianites oppressing them, they're so fearful of the Midianites that they're hiding in caves, clefts of rocks. They're shivering and they're saying, please don't bother us. Don't oppress us anymore. You say, well, man, this isn't registered either. You know, fear and anxiety and depression can have you so fearful of the enemy. You just hide. Become reclusive. Say, oh God, I don't know if there's any hope for me anymore because of the oppression of the enemy. How many know that to be true? The oppression of the enemy will be like hiding in a rock, hiding in a cave, finding a shelter to try to get away from the world. And so the tables have been turned. The enemy is full force coming against the people of God because they would not listen to God. Everybody sees that, right? We go on. It says the Israelites, uh, said verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops. Now when you hear planted their crops and it's an example to us and these are believers, what's that telling us? They're trying to be fruitful. They're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to be fruitful. They're trying to bear fruit. They're trying to be independent, live their normal life, feed their families, do the normal things, right? But the enemy, look what happens. Every time they would plant their crop, it says, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples would invade their country. You ever tried to live the Christian life and every time you get ready to do good for God, the enemy comes in and just wipes it out. Man, I was doing so good and I was, I was moving forward in the Lord and I was growing in the Lord. I was doing this, I was doing that. And every time you get ready to do something fruitful in God's kingdom or you do something fruitful in your life, the enemy comes in and wipes it out. How many have ever seen that happen? I know it's probably not happened to any of us, but how many of you have seen somebody that's happened? (laughs) And so this is an example of what happens in our Christian life when it becomes fruitless. And the enemy just keeps wiping you out and you say, man, I was doing so well until that anxiety hit me. Ooh, good old anxiety. He's trying to tell us how to get rid of anxiety and not let it come in and wipe out your crop. He's trying to tell us how to um, get on a path where the enemy is not destroying you, but you're victorious against the enemy. And there's an enemy here that's really a big enemy. In fact, they say when this enemy Midian gathers to fight uh, a little bit later, it says you can't even number them. There's so many of them. And so what that tells me is that this battle is so big that you probably can't win. Man, Chad, you're telling a terrible story. You're a terrible storyteller. How many have ever felt it's impossible to beat depression? It's impossible to beat anxiety. It's impossible to beat poverty. It's impossible to beat these things that keep wiping me out. And can I tell you something? It is impossible for you to win. 
until you come to that realization, you can't ever win. You say, well, wait a minute. One plus one equals... What are you talking about? It doesn't make sense. Until you realize that the enemy is too big for you, you'll never win. Because what you'll continue to do is do it in your own strength. And I want you to think of these people. Man, they stole all of our crops. They stole everything. And so, here's what I'll do. The next day, I'm going to go on and cultivate it again. I'm going to to till it back up. I'm going to replant. And man, I've won. How many have ever done that? I failed. Tomorrow, I'll go right back at it. The enemy wipes it right back out again. All of your work is wiped out again. All of your work is wiped out again. And this is a vicious cycle of religion. How many know that's true? God's people trying to beat the enemy without God. But I do all the religious things. I'm going to church on Sunday. I open my Bible and I'm determined. I am determined to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to start reading. I'm going to consistently have a prayer checklist. I may have been there. I'm talking about religion. Me trying to beat the enemy once and for all because I'm tired of the enemy wiping me out. And God's saying there's a different way that transcends what you've been doing. And so he goes on and he says in uh, verse 4, they were invading the country. It says they camped out on their land and ruined their crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They're now camping out on your property. There were so many tents around of all the enemy. They're camping out on a believer's property. You say, well, what's that mean? That means that you're trying to do better, but the enemy's camped out in your head. How many have ever had that happen? He's camped out in your heart, waiting for you to replant that fruit and see if it's going to grow. And he's waiting for you to go on and make your religious effort again, try really hard again, do it in my own strength again, do it without God again, and the same vicious cycle just keeps happening. And you say, well, what's going on here? Let's move on and read a little bit more here. It says, It was impossible, this is uh, still verse 5. No, it says, They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried. That's the verse you want to notice. They so impoverished God's people that they began to cry out to the Lord. Did you see they were innumerable? You couldn't even count them? And they were there to what? Ravage God's people. Ravage them. The enemy is waiting outside the doors. You say, well, man, I'm safe as long as I'm in here. The minute you walk out the door, the enemy is going to come at you. And you have someone greater in you than is in the world. 
We shouldn't be bound by the enemy. We should be sending the enemy to flight. So something's out of whack here. But did you see they finally, after seven years, you say, well, man, I wouldn't go through my life for seven years and not cry out to the Lord. Well, won't you start counting then? Don't do it out loud. We don't want to know your business in front of everybody. But how many think that maybe I've went a long period of time without really crying out to the Lord? Seven years of living like the world, living like the people around them, doing the things the world does, and finally they're impoverished and they're helpless and they're hopeless, and finally they begin to cry out to the Lord. Now we can start talking about victory. Now we can see the battle plan for victory, all right? Do you want to know the battle plan for victory here? This story that's given us an example of how to live life? In fact, I put down here, do I have your attention? That's what God's asking you and that's what God's asking them. Do I have your attention? God has to have your attention. Did you know that? God didn't have their attention. Is everybody listening? God didn't. See, I'm trying to get everybody's attention. By saying, do I have your attention repeatedly? God has to have your attention. How many know that your attention can be taken off God? And you can say to yourself, why do I need God? Because I've got me. I've got this beautiful, large, cerebral thing going on here. And I could do it without God. How many have ever done that? I'll go my own way without God. Only one person, me and Ann, are the only two that have ever used our brilliant minds to fail. Did you know that you need God in your life? Everything about this world says you have to have God in your life. God has made a world, He created a world that is designed where you need God. In fact, if you don't recognize that before life goes out of you, all hope is gone. You must have God in this life, and if you're without God as you leave this world, you're without hope. And so God's got to find a way, what I call, attention getters. How many have ever had an attention getter? If I had an attention getter right now, I would maybe like make an extremely loud noise where you would have to notice me, right? God in life has attention getters. And with Israel, God's people... God was waiting for them to begin to cry out to the Lord. Do you see that? God's waiting for you to cry out to the Lord. God's not asking you to turn over a new leaf. God's not asking you to make a New Year's Eve resolution. God's not asking you to get up and get a series of checklists of things you need to do religiously to try to win this battle because I'll tell you before you start, that's going to fail. God, listen to this, He's not asking Gideon here, and you'll see in a moment, to make a battle plan to beat the Midianites. 
You say, well, what's that have to do with me? Because you spent all of your day making your plan. All of your day is spent, well, if I can do this, well, if I can do that, well, maybe I can do this, or maybe I shouldn't have done that, or maybe I can do this, or maybe I can do that, or maybe if they wouldn't have done this, or they wouldn't have done that, or maybe when I was five years old, if it didn't happen this way or it happened that way. Do you see what we do? And we let go of God, and we start making plans for how we're going to win the battle. And if Midian would, or if Gideon would have done that to beat the Midianites, he would have failed. But here's what happened. They cried out to the Lord. And God's looking for some people that will cry out to the Lord. Not, I've heard some prayers. Dear God, tomorrow I shall begin my prayer study. I'm going to study the Word. I'm going to pray my checklist, and then I'm going to have victory. God's like, yeah, that's a religious checklist you have there, but can I be a part of it? Can I uh, interject anything into your battle plan, or do you pretty well know what you're doing here? I've got it. And we do these religious things. We move on here with this, and God's got their attention. They're crying out now. And then it says... Verse 5, they came up with their livestock and tents like swarm of locusts. They invaded the land to ravage it. So impoverished were the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord for help. Look at verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. God's like, I've been waiting a long time for this. You see what's happening? Something's beginning to happen that might be victory. They cried... God was faithful to send a prophet. Isn't that amazing? These people turned their back on God, didn't want anything to do with God, and they began to cry to to God, and we don't know who it was. I think Gideon was one of the people crying out to God. And I think there were lots of people, I, I think, in fact, as we go along, we'll see, I think there were several people, a real small minority, that began to cry out to God, and God heard their cry. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. He will hear us and heal our land. But it has to be a large amount of people. I just added that. So you let me add scripture there. That wasn't part of that scripture. He just said, if my people who are called by my name will begin to cry out, I will heal your land. So they cried out, and guess what he did? He sent a prophetic word. Prophetic word was, This is what the Lord of God of Israel says, I brought you out of Egypt. So they cried to the Lord, he sent a prophet, he said, I brought you out of Egypt. I personally delivered you out of the world. Say, wait a minute, you made that personal. That's what they're trying to tell you. God delivered you from the world. Do you know what a miracle it is that we recognize God in our life and we receive God as the Lord of our life? Do you know what a miracle that is? Sometimes I wonder, why me? Why me and not somebody better than me? There are a lot of people that were much nicer and kinder and better looking and everything else than me. Why me? How many of you ever thought that? 
It's a miracle that God drew you into this church today. Everybody that's here today is not here by an accident. God's drawing in churches all over the world today. And He's drawing you here by His grace and His mercy. And it says, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of slavery. He brought you out. See, this is uh, another reason I say this is God's people because He brought them out of slavery, brought them out of Egypt. This is the same as us. You know, these are believers that had been redeemed by God. God brought them into a saving faith. And now they're turning their back on God for seven years. And he says, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I, do you hear God saying, I did this, I did that, I did this. I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. Right? I drove them out before you and gave you the land, their land. So God did all that and gave you their land, right? I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you've not listened to me. The angel of the Lord, hold on, am I out here? Is that right, the next verse? Verse 11, the angel of the Lord and came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. You know what that means? It means they cried out to the Lord. See, what Gideon could have done was make a plan up of how his behavior is going to be so much better than the rest of the community. He could have said, well, here's the plan I'm going to have to beat this army who's innumerable, who I could never beat. And he can have all these plans just thinking about it because I'm tired of not having any food, right? So Gideon is there, and because they cried out the Lord, a prophet comes, and an angel of the Lord comes directly to a person called Gideon. And when this angel of the Lord comes, do you know what he does? How many know what an angel of the Lord is? This is fascinating. If you study angel of the Lord in the Bible, this is no normal angel. In fact, angel of the Lord in the Bible, they're very unique, and people are trying to figure out who this angel of the Lord is, and almost all commentators come to the same opinion because a normal angel won't let you worship it. A normal angel won't do certain things, but the angel of the Lord, this person called the angel of the Lord, he'll allow you to worship him. He'll do things that are very similar to the things Jesus does later in his role. And so if you're Jewish and you don't accept Jesus as the Messiah, you'll say that's a uh, messiothony, which means it's an appearance of the Messiah in the Old Testament. And you see him several places. If you believe Christ is the Messiah, it's called a Christophany because you believe it's a, it's a appearance of Christ before he was ever born in the New Testament. And so, here's what's happening. They begin to cry out for help. This person who is most likely an appearance of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes and sits down by Gideon. Is this amazing? He comes and he sits down under an oak tree at his family's house. And he's just sitting there. He's just like hanging out. He's just sitting there and he's like... Uh, And Gideon doesn't know who he is. 
He doesn't recognize who he is yet. And here's the thing. You've got the Spirit of the Lord in you, and we're crying out to the Lord for an issue of an oppressive enemy. We want to see God raise himself up and help God's people. We want to see revival. We want to see God do great things in our life. We want to see fruit in this world coming from God's people, right? And Jesus is right there. He's right there. And you say, well, wait a minute. Did you know that the presence of Christ is with you? You say, well, man, here's the first point I want to make about how to have victory. Me plus him is a winning combination. Me minus him is not a winning combination. It's kind of like I used to tell a story when my boys were little. They're, 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 they're pretty well stronger than me now. When we were little, we'd carry something big, and I'd have one side, and they'd both be on the other, and they were real little. You know? And I'd say, yeah, you ever hear the story about the elephant and the mouse? And they were crossing the bridge, and it was one of those bridges that kind of moved a little bit, you know. And, and uh, the mouse looks at the elephant while they're walking across the bridge, and he says, we're really shaking it, man. Think about it. The mouse walks across the moving bridge with the elephant. And the mouse looks up at the elephant and says, we're really shaking it, man. And see, this is me, my cheesy joke, I'm sorry. I love them though. This is me and God. It's like, God, we're really shaking it, man. Look at us. We're really doing great things, but you without God are helpless. You're hopeless. You can't win. Your religion won't win. Your efforts won't win. Your hard work won't win. Your pulling yourself over the bootstraps won't win. But me with God... We're really shaking it, man. And he begins to tell Gideon here. Look at this in Judges chapter 6. God comes on the scene and we can finally have a victory here. It says, The Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian. He sent them a prophet. He said, This is what the Lord says. Verse 11, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the tree which belonged uh, to Gideon's father uh, where they were threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Do you see what Gideon's doing when Jesus shows up? He's trying to quickly thresh wheat so he can hide it from the oppressor. He's afraid they're going to take his food because every time they get a little bit of grain, what happens? And he comes in and steals it. So he's hiding, trying to thresh the wheat so they won't steal his wheat. And it says, the angel of the Lord came while Gideon is hiding his food so they won't come steal his food. He says, but sir, in fact, my uh, version here says, pardon me, my Lord. And Gideon replied, but the Lord, if the Lord is with us, oh yeah, that's the best line. I missed a part there. It says, the Lord looks at Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is the elephant in the mouse, right? Gideon's hiding, trying to keep the food from being stolen. No plan whatsoever for victory. And Jesus is sitting there with him. And he's saying, hey, mighty warrior. 
And that's what he's telling you today. Victory is there, but it's not going to be through your efforts. It's not going to be through your hard work. It's not going to be through something you did. It's going to be through something that God did through you. He's going to rise up through you and give you victory. But you have to learn what Gideon is learning here is how we're going to learn the peace of God. So he begins to talk to him. And he says, but sir, if the Lord is with me, why has all this happened to us? Why are all, where are all the wonders that were done to our fathers And they told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, put us into the hands of the Midianites. Ever felt that way? I'm abandoned in my addiction. I'm abandoned in my behaviors. I'm abandoned. And the enemy is just wiping me out. How many have ever felt that way? There's two of us, three of us, four of us, five. Oh, good. All right. Seven of us. (laughs) But you can feel that way. Your spirit can feel beaten down. Your spirit can feel like you've been wiped out. The spirit can feel like I can't win. Spirit feels like no matter what I do religiously. And he said, where are your wonders, God? Where are your miracles? Why are you not delivering like you did to our fathers? And God is getting ready to show him how I deliver in your day. You know, things have happened in the past, but God wants to know, how does he deliver in this day? How does he rise up wonders in this world? How does he raise up wonders in this city, in this church, and in every church? God is showing this pattern of exactly how we beat the enemy and quit being religious. Amen. And he begins to show Gideon. God begins to reveal himself. See, Gideon doesn't know who's talking to him. He doesn't know that this is the Messiah that's going to be born in Bethlehem one day. He doesn't know this is part of the Godhead that's in his presence. You say, well, how did he not know? I don't know. He doesn't know. Just watch. It says, pardon me, Lord. Okay, let's go down to verse 15. It says, pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Do you see how lowly this guy is? He does not have plans to beat the Midianites, does he? He got no plan whatsoever, and God's like, man, this guy I can use. Wouldn't it have been better if he went to one of the best of the best and the best tribes and one of the best people? God's like, I can't use that guy. But man, this guy's the least of the least, and he's crying out to me. Man, this is one I can actually begin to use. And he says, um, it says, the Lord answered him when he said he's the smallest, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites and you'll leave none alive. Now I want you to think rationally about this for a second. I'm with you, but he doesn't say I'm striking down the Midianites. He says, I'm with you, which means I'm a winning combination now. And you're going to do it. Now how can logical thought even process that? And the Bible is full of this. You go to Hebrews 11, they're all really unusual ideals from God. Take the lowest and the least. Take the poorest, the guy begging, you know, hiding food so they won't come get him. They're hiding in rocks. But somebody cries out to the Lord and Jesus shows up and he says, 
I'm with you. You'll strike them down. Now, wouldn't it be easy for Gideon to say, bad plan, bad idea, because they're, they're camping on this property. Tents all around, they're stealing every little morsel of food they grow. They're oppressed for seven years. This is an illogical idea, right? But he begins to reveal himself now. As I am with you, I'll strike down the Midianites. None will be left alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that you're really talking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring an offering and set it before you. Can you see this? Most likely, commentators agree, it was probably a pre-incarnate Jesus, and he's lounging by this tree. He's like, don't go away, stay there until I come back. So he's looking out the window, getting a sacrifice ready, and he keeps looking out, and he's still sitting there just like lounging. Can you see that? Jesus is on the scene just lounging. He's telling them, you're going to defeat the entire Midianite army. And so he begins to prepare a sacrifice, right? Sacrifice, as our example, is worship. How many know that? Remember the Bible said, don't be anxious for anything. Make your sacrifices and petitions and everything before the Lord with thanksgiving. He begins to worship God, right? It's an angel of the Lord, but he doesn't know it yet. He begins to make a sacrifice before God. And it says, Gideon said, if I found favor, give me a sign. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord said, I will wait until you return, Gideon. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat um, from the flour, made bread without yeast, put the meat in a basket, and broth in a pot. He brought him out. And it says, the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock. I want you to see what's happening here. Place your sacrifice on the rock in front of this angel of the Lord. Right? And then it says, pour out the broth, and Gideon did. So the angel of the Lord touched, listen, touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff. Just touches it with his staff that was in his hand, and fire flared from a rock. You ever notice that? Fire flared up out of a rock because he touched it with a staff. Isn't that amazing? And it says, Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord. He exclaimed at last, Sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He just figured it out. Did you see that? He just figured out he had a vision of God in his life through worship. He had a vision of God through worship. Now Gideon believes that I can defeat the Midianites because he's with me, not because of me. And he goes on and he says, um, But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, You're not going to die. That's how I know that it's God in his presence. He's afraid he's going to die because he's seen God. He's had a vision of the presence of God in his life through worship. And it says, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it what? The Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands in that place, it says. 
Why would he call it the place of peace? Now I'm getting into the Philippians thing here. Peace that passes understanding. It was a place of peace because God said, you're going to win a battle with an innumerable army. You're going to kill them, Gideon. You're going to kill them all because I'm with you. Do you understand the impossible just happened? Because through worship, he got a vision of God in his life. This is totally opposite of getting up, turning over a new rock, doing a checklist and being religious. This is a person through worship and prayer made his petition known to God and had a vision of God in his life. And he said, this place is going to be called the God of peace because now I'm peaceful with the idea that I'm going to kill the entire Midianite army. Are you even thinking, Gideon? Because logically, you're an idiot. Do you see that? Something just went transcended his thinking. Do you see that? When I get a word from God, it transcends my own thinking and it makes me do the impossible. It's like Hebrews 11, when they went against armies, when they defeated battles, when they defeated addictions, when they defeated pornography, alcohol, drugs, anger, bitterness, depression, when they defeated these armies that were insurmountable, they did it because they were, they loved their God, they were in His presence, they cried out to God and He showed up. That's not religion, church. We've had a religion too long. Religion kills people. Love for God and God's presence in our life brings victory because He gets all the glory. And so Gideon names the place the God of peace. Title of my message is God's peace or your understanding. God's peace or your understanding. Which one do you want? Do you want a plan that you understand or do you want God's plan? Do you want victory or do you want to try it in your own strength? And Gideon found the God of peace and he's like, man, I feel good about this. I don't even know how many hundreds of thousands he was going against, but he's like, I feel pretty good about this. There's a peace that came over him. Man, I've been there. I've been in times where financial situations were impossible. And I said to myself, I feel pretty good about this. How many have ever been there? How many have ever had the God of peace transcend and you're like, man, I should be really upset now, but man, I feel pretty good about this. You know, I feel like this is definitely, you know, I'm going to win this victory. I'm going to win this battle because the God of peace showed up in your situation. And, And it's transcending my thinking now and anxiety. Man, where's anxiety have a place now? It doesn't. Then he goes on, and I'm going to try to rush it here. I know I'm going long. Oh, i got six minutes. Man, I'm going to slow down now. He goes on, and uh, he says, okay, here's what I want you to do for the victory. Get in. That same night the Lord said to him, take a second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down his Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. This is a death sentence. How many know that? He cut down his father's altar to Baal and his Asherah pole. 
and made an altar for the Lord, a proper kind of altar. You know what that tells me today? That tells me that he was building a proper prayer life. He was beginning to put all his trust in God. You say, well, wait a minute. I put my trust in God and it didn't work. It didn't work. So when it doesn't work, and you prayed some little prayer and some short prayer, and it didn't work, then what do we do? We go build that altar of Baal again. God's saying, no, now it's just me. Destroy that altar. And you say, well, what is that altar of Baal? That altar of Baal is all these philosophies. That altar of Baal is all this thinking that's contrary to God. It's like, man, I'll solve my problem by making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, that's it. More money. More money. I'll work until I have nothing left in me. And I'll just money, 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 and it will solve my problem. I'll do it with substances. Oh, man, if I've got lingering pain in my life, well, I know how to get rid of the pain. Build an altar to a false god, and I'm going to use substances. I'm going to use substance for my depression. I'm going to use substances for my pain. I'm going to use substance to make me feel better in social interactions. Substances. And we built this altar. And boy, if somebody were to tear your altar down, but here comes Gideon. Tears it down, builds an altar. And God commanded him to do it. He was obedient because he's got this peace about him. He's like, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And they wake up the next morning predictably, and he knew they would be this way. They said, where's the guy that did this so we can kill him? And and Gideon's like, man, this is a good idea. Because God showed up and gave him this word, hey, go do it. You're going to save Israel, Gideon. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And so the peace of God is on him, and he's doing mighty things for God. And then then he stops again, and he says, and I'm just going to paraphrase here, you need to go home and read anyway, right? Judges 6 and Judges chapter 7, but here's my paraphrase. Then Gideon doubts again. I'm so glad the Bible's honest. He doubts again and he says, okay, God, let me make sure this is right. Since I'm going to be defeating the entire Midianite army who we can't count, um, let me know that you talk to me. How many have ever done that? You hear a word from the Lord and you're like, I don't know, man. That's, God's going to tell me to you know, do this or God's telling me to do that and I have peace about it and then all of a sudden doubt comes in. He said, man, I don't know. I'm cutting off a lot of my old friends and you know, doing things I haven't done before. I don't know if I can survive that. And God said, no, do it. He says, well, show me, God. So he puts out a fleece. Everybody knows the story of the fleece. You know, if the fleece has dew on it, you know, and nothing around it does. And he says, okay, well, that's pretty good. You answered that. He says, okay, now it's got to be dry and everything around it wet. And God answers and says, yes, 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 I'm talking to you. He goes like, yes, you're talking to me. Look at all the things God did to make this great warrior be a warrior, (laughs) okay? And God's going to do this to you. You're going to have doubts sometimes, and God's trying to get you to the place where you quit doubting Him. And you say, well, what's that look like? That looks like living for God 100% and getting off the fence. It's like, no, no, I want to serve God, but I still want to go party. I want to serve God, but I still want to 
Uh, you know, God's trying to pull these things away from me, but I don't fully trust God. I still need to lean on the old life. Make me feel better. That's just me, probably. And God's saying, no, just trust me with everything. Trust me with all of it. Give me everything, and you'll have victory in your life. And so then God says, okay, here's the plan now, the battle plan. And Gideon's like, oh, awesome. It's going to be so awesome. God's got a plan, and it's going to be so logical. It's going to be so reasonable. And, uh, you know, God has this same battle plan for every church. Not just here that I'm preaching this morning. This is his battle plan for the church. He says, okay, Gideon, gather them all together. And I don't know how many tens of thousands. It doesn't exactly say, but he gathers tens of thousands of people. And I'm paraphrasing here, so hopefully I get exactly right. But he says, okay, Get in, here's the first problem. And Gideon's kind of looking around, and he's like, eh, yeah, we got quite a few. But they're big. They're a lot more than us, right? Right? He says, Gideon, you have too many men. He's like, well, I have too many men? Can you imagine this? I would Now think how illogical this is for our mind, all right? My logic says the more men, the better chances I have of winning, right? God says you have too many men. So, he says, the ones who tremble are unafraid to fight, tell them to go home. And see, God's looking at this congregation. And he's saying, Chad, you don't need a big congregation. You say, well, man, wouldn't you love to have one? I'm talking about revival. I'm not talking about the people in the seats. I'm talking about what does God need for a revival. Because I know in all of Israel, in the time of Christ, in the upper room, all of Israel rejected, but there were 120 that didn't. God took that 120 and turned the world upside down. He didn't need very many. And so he says, all the ones who tremble and are afraid to fight... You just go in and leave. So 20,000 of them, I believe it was. Was 22,000? 22,000 left that day. Can you see them walking away? It's like, uh, send them home. And the guys that are standing there are like, wait a minute, I'm not scared, but that's 22,000 people that just left. How would it like to be in a church? 22,000 people go out the doors. They say, well, man, how are we going to have revival now? And then... Gideon looks and he's like, well, we're good. we got a good army here. we got quite a few guys here. God says, Gideon, there's still too many. Still too many? God, they're innumerable, this army. They're innumerable. God says, no, uh, take them to the water. And some of them will cup their hands and drink the water, kind of like, you know, real classy, you know. And some of them will be so thirsty, they'll lap like dogs at that water. He says, those are your warriors. Gideon, you're my leader. You're the one that was hiding with the grain so nobody would catch you. And I want those ones that are really thirsty, that are just laughing like dogs. There's your army. 300 people. He took 300 people, and that's the army we're going to take against an innumerable enemy that's, that is, that enemy has oppressed us for generations. And you say, well, how's God going to bring revival to our church? He says, you know, find the people that aren't afraid. 
and find the people that are hungry for God, begin to cry out to God, and it doesn't. We want to look around and say, "Man, how many?" One. Gideon was one. God began to move on Gideon, and then there was two, and then there was three, and then there was three hundred. And God begins to take him into battle, and he said, okay, before we go to battle, Gideon, I want you to sneak into the enemy's camp, and I want you to hear what they're saying. Because you're going with 300 men against an army that's innumerable. It would be nice to know what the enemy's thinking, right? You say, well, what's the enemy think about our church? What's the enemy think about our church? Well, he goes up into the enemy's camp, and he begins to listen to their conversation. And they were scared to death. They said, the God of Gideon, the sword of Gideon is going to be against us. I had a dream last night. And they were scared to death of this army of 300, of a guy that was hiding grain because he was scared, and a group of people that lapped like dogs at water, and they were scared to death and they were innumerable. The enemy is afraid that the church will rise up and trust God. The enemy loves it when you do it in your own energy, your own strength. But the enemy, when he finds out you're learning how to pray, when he finds you're learning out how to pour out before God, when he learns that your life lines up with your proclamation and your petition before God, and it's not just religion, the enemy is scared to death. Because he knows that his time camping out on your property is about over. And get this, here's what's amazing, and I'm going to close with this. Oh, thank the Lord, 12.05. How did I cover all that? The Lord, we're really shaking it, aren't we? Praise the Lord. <laughs> you guys love dad jokes, don't you? I, I know you do. Yeah, praise the Lord. But get this. You say, well, what happened to all those people that walked away? You read the end of the story, those 300 supernaturally, God did a supernatural miracle. They didn't even fight them. They began to blow the trumpets. They began to shatter the glasses. And all of a sudden, they thought a giant enemy was about to attack them because 300 people were making noises. And it said, supernaturally, God made them start fighting each other. So the enemy started fighting each other. The enemy started running. They, 300 set them to flight. And then God said, begin to let everybody know in the land... That here they come and they're on, they're running, they're running, they're running and begin to let everybody know, send messengers out to chase them all the way out of the land. And all those people that were refusing to fight and were afraid, all those people that weren't there lapping at the water, all of a sudden they see that the enemy is taken to flight. This is revival, church. If a few people will seek God and call upon His name, we'll set the enemy to flight with a few, and those who didn't have the courage at the moment will see the enemy out of here. And they begin to chase them out of the land and retake the land for God. But it only took a few to set them to flight. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord. Lord, I just prayed that you'd begin to move in this service, Lord God. Oh, Father, there are those in here that have tried it with their own strength, Lord, and those days are done, Lord God. 
Oh, Father, I just pray today that they would recognize that you're in this house, Lord. Just like you sat under that tree, Lord God. Sat under that tree on Gideon's family property and waited for him to make the sacrifice, the worship. Oh, and you begin to reveal yourself and begin to reveal victory to a man that had no courage and wasn't a warrior, but you called him a warrior, Lord. You said that I will be with you and we will win and we will conquer and the enemy will no longer oppress you. Lord, I pray today that, that, that cells would be open, Lord God. Father, that the jail cells would be open, Lord God. We've been in prison. We've been oppressed, Lord. We've been addicted, Lord God. Oh, and Father, I pray right now I release, Lord God, through your spirit. Oh, that they grab a hold of this word, Lord God, and find liberty and find life, Lord God. Oh, hallelujah. With your eyes closed, your head bowed. If you're struggling today and you say, Chad, I've done it over and over. I've prayed the checklist. I've started reading my Bible. I started doing all these religious things. I even went to church, but I'm not finding victory. God is saying, begin to get in His presence. Begin to let God give you the victory. In fact, in that story it says, He would not let them win by their own strength because He was afraid they would boast against Him and say that I did this and not the Lord. God is bringing you to the place where you'll cry out because I've lost so many times. You say, well, Chad, I'm a Christian. This doesn't apply to me. It applies to you. If you're struggling with pornography... How many know that's an enemy that's stealing your fruit? If you're struggling with alcohol, that's an enemy that's stealing your fruit. If depression is hitting you in the head and knocking you off course, how many know that's the enemy camped on your property and he's stealing your fruit? If you keep getting mad and you're struggling with anger, folks, this is everybody in here is struggling with enemies. And if you let that enemy stay on your property, guess what's going to happen? going to own you. He's going to own all your fruit. He's going to take everything. He's going to begin to oppress you. I want you to find a place of this altar. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, that's your only hope in this world. You need the Lord and He's looking to get your attention and wake you up. And this altar is empty. Nobody. Nobody has an enemy. They're fighting God says pray for one another, confess to one another, lay hands on one another. Find a place at this altar. You're not coming up for me. It's either accepting or rejecting God. It's not me. We've got an altar up here. If you're sick, how many know sickness is an enemy? Sickness is an oppression. How many would say sickness is an oppression? The Bible says you, not a random person, you, have not because you asked me. Church, we're here to pray for you today. We're here to seek God on your behalf for your situation. Hallelujah.